0: Hello again, dear listener. This, I am happy to admit, is the start of the show. Welcome to Find, a previously recorded evening of storytelling and otherwise. This episode took place on May 28, 2018, at the Lido, which is on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil First Nations, or Vancouver, BC. You'll be hearing from some of the excellent lineup of writers and comedians we had that night, which includes Julia Stretch, Jocelyn Tennant, Essay Atawo, Yonina Curtin, and Jane Stanton. And throughout this episode, you'll hear music from Devourers, who you can find on iTunes and Bandcamp. The track we started the show with today is called Late Bloomer. And if you like leaving your house, going to a separate destination, full of other people and enjoying some entertainment, we do have a live show at The Lido on June 25th that you should come and check out if you like. There'll be performances from Julie Kim, Jay Simpson, Nemo Golamapur, Asia Moore, Joe Dorschak, and music by Psy. For more info, go to fineshow.com or follow us on the social medias at fine Show. And I'm your host, Cole Nowicki. Okay. Let's get on with it. Enjoy the show.
1: And
0: Thank you, one person. I really, whoever did that, you mean a lot to me, and I appreciate it. And I, uh, I have friends. No, I do. I do. I have friends. I have friends. Trust me. And a lot of my friends, they have hobbies and interests and talents. And a few of my friends are talented musicians that play in a band together that recently went on a tour that started in Vancouver and went all the way to Montreal. And they played shows in cities and the provinces all along the way. And before they left, I asked if I could jump in the tour van with them under the pretense that I would then write something about it. They kindly agreed, and I'm going to read a short essay inspired by that trip, but I should let the, uh, I think there is only one member of that band in the audience tonight, I should let you know in advance that this piece has nothing to do with the band (laughs) or any of the shows. It's all about me and and small businesses. (laughs) And I'm going to start reading it now after I drink this water. (laughs) The whole thing. This piece is called Laser Quit Smoking Massage. Mm -hmm. The houses on this street aren't just houses. The casual observer will note that yes, like most homes in the Saskatoon neighborhood, they have creaking screen doors, front lawns with patchy brown grass yawning green with spring, and probably a rec room in the basement with one of those little plastic basketball nets pasted above the door frame. But the careful observer will read the signs to get a fuller understanding of what these places really are. Like literally, read the signs, small, square, and colorful, they speckle the stoops and windows of residences for nearly an entire city block bold sans serif type sitting on neon oranges, yellows, and greens, reading things like nails, exclamation point. Manicure, exclamation point. Pedicure, exclamation point. Greg's top quality lawn maintenance services, Inc., exclamation point. We make sausage, exclamation point. Steaks, exclamation point. Jerky, exclamation point. And it's tax season, exclamation point, exclamation point. Don't wait, exclamation point, exclamation point. We can help. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. These houses serve as storefronts, genuine home offices, abattoir abodes, tax agent shelters, places I'd much rather bring my business. Screw the stuffy sterile furnishing of an H&R block. I want to go to Karen's house, hand over my T4s, and kick back with my feet on the Paisley ottoman that used to belong to her great-grandmother Dolores. There's just an added comfort and a certain type of intimacy in getting your nails done in someone's home instead of a studio. You can scan through family photos on their mantle, pour yourself a glass of water from the kitchen faucet, use their personal bathroom. Maybe they're an Uncle John's bathroom reader family. I love collecting fun factoids about long deceased hockey players while moving my bowels. It's kind of my thing. (laughs) For someone to invite you into their home, even if it's for a business transaction, also conveys a serious level of trust you're entering the place where they eat, sleep, and make love. That's big. Growing up, my mom had to move her business, coincidentally a sign-making shop, into our (laughs) basement when times got tough. (laughs) That's true. That meant gruff old rural Albertan men looking for decals to splash over the semi-trucks would routinely see me in my pajamas, drinking chocolate milk at 9 a.m., while my Spider-Man action figure tried to convince Wolverine that it was okay to be sad every once in a while. (laughs) And that may not seem like the optimal business environment, but its casual nature helped us foster real relationships with those customers. They became like a strange branch of the family. That had to pay us each time they came over, but that's probably how family should work anyways. (laughs) I don't know why the strip of houses in Saskatoon decided to bring their work lives home, but I'd surmise that not all of them did it by choice. After Alberta's economy started its free fall in 2015, a sobering amount of people in my father's Grand Prairie neighborhood lost their jobs, my dad barely clinging on to his own. His neighbors had all worked in the energy industry, and as that sector atrophied to the point where their individual income streams dried up, they came together to start their own mini-industry out of their homes. They pooled resources, leased a small fleet of vehicles, and offered the city something it was missing, a late-night designated driver service. And they made pretty good bank because even, or especially, in the face of economic collapse, people love to drink. And maybe something similar had happened here. It could have started at a block party, where over light beer, chips, and dip, the folks who live on the street commiserated about how expensive their storefronts were becoming, how inflating rent, taxes, and stagnant wages were pushing them to the brink. But what could they do? The world was a merciless capitalist treadmill, and the legs of their small businesses were getting tired, someone probably said. And perhaps that's when someone suggested, jokingly at first, that to save money, they run their businesses out of their homes, like a residential strip mall. That also could have been when everyone chewed that idea over properly in their heads, gauged the feasibility, the pros and cons swirling around like the chip and dip in their mouths, before realizing that that was a pretty tasty idea. And that would explain the signs, their consistent aesthetic, the same earnest, urgent messaging. They clearly all went to the same sign shop. I would know which also included the house at the end of the block whose sign I had to Google to figure out exactly what kind of service they were providing. When I first saw it, its words just didn't compute. They were a jumbled, jarring non sequitur, like someone chopped up the subject lines of all my spam emails, put them into a hat, and plucked out four all-caps words at random. Laser, quit smoking, massage. After a few troubled minutes of trying and failing to piece together what a laser-quit-smoking massage could be, I gave up, and a quick Google search revealed that it is a technique similar to acupuncture, except with lasers, that you shoot into various parts of your face, which then helps you to quit smoking, (laughs) obviously. I imagined what it would have been like as a kid if instead of bringing the sign shop home, my mom had been a laser masseuse. Watching clients come into her house, take off their shoes, hang their jacket in the closet next to my stepdad's prize print of Emily Carr's The Raven in that really tacky gold frame. My mom getting me to bring said customer a glass of iced tea as they leaned back in the recliner, taking a sip before being blasted in the face with a goddamn laser. <laughs> Probably would have been pretty cool. But running the shop out of her house, it wasn't any easier though. The long hours, stress, and uncertainty my mom endured at work wouldn't stay in the basement. It always slinked up the stairs, showing itself in coldness at the dinner table or quiet tears as she smoked alone on the porch. Having her source of income always below her must have been a constant reminder that if it failed, those floorboards could come come crumbling down after. Were the kids in the houses on this street familiar with that same unknown pressure I had been? That pressure that at times became overwhelming? Further Googling informed me that the same laser techniques used to help one quit smoking could even help those struggling with depression. I thought of Wolverine, and all the times I had used scraps of my mom's adhesive vinyl to bind him to chairs, walls, and the hot water tank in the basement, Logan's depressive, apathetic states often leading to his capture and constraint. (laughs) If I had had as, as easy access to those lasers as I did the vinyl, maybe I could have done something for him. Shot a few lasers into his molded plastic face steadied his mood, helped him keep positive and out of the clutches of Shredder and the Foot Clan. (laughs) And maybe I could have turned that laser around on myself and my brother and my mom. And maybe when things did eventually crumble, it could have kept us from the clutches of the heartbreak that followed. Or at the very least, kept us from smoking. (laughs) Thanks for listening to that piece of... (laughs) That piece of music journalism. That was Music Journalism. (laughs) (laughs) Up first, we have wonderful comedian and human, Julia Stretch.
2: Thank you. you. The other day, I had a chance to sleep with somebody who I didn't find attractive. But all of my friends did. So I felt compelled to do it on their behalf. (laughs) Guys, you don't get that. You would do that to brag. Women, we're collective. We'll take one for the team. (laughs) One of us should try it. I'm going to report back to the group. Plus, I got to thinking, who's it going to hurt, right? We're adults. He's my husband. (laughs) have some fun with this. I'm from Alberta originally, and I went, I, yeah, exactly. Woo! And I went home to visit. And every time I go home to visit, something has changed a little bit. This time my brother told me that he grew weed in the backyard last year, and that my mom helped him. And my, my parents aren't counterculture folks. Uh, when they come here, they like to go to White Spot because it's not too spicy. Chipotle mayo? If I wanted spicy, I would go to Swiss Chalet. Denise, pass me a roll. That's my parents. So they're stoic prairie folk. So I said, how did you pull that off? And he said, I just told her I was going to do it, and she could help me or not. And it turns out that while my mother is anti-drug, her dominant morality is horticulture. Drugs are a scourge, but we got to have a crop come full, eh? (laughs) Tomato plant, pot plant, tomato plant, pot plant, everything staked beautifully, and it wasn't voluntary on her part. The Depression-era farmer genes just kicked in, overrode absolutely everything else. I was flying into New Orleans once, and the guy beside me said, oh, you live in Vancouver, do you smoke weed? And I said, not while I'm in your country because your government's not easygoing about it." And he said, Oh, I know, when I'm in Canada, I don't drive drunk. <laughs> it's just a story for you guys. This happened. I, uh, I was in the park yesterday, and a guy was throwing his kid up in the air and catching him. Oh, I said, Man, you get two more babies going there, you'll have an act. <laughs> keep, keep practicing. I do that. I go to the park and get stoned and juggle. Yeah. No, some people go to the park to go in the bushes and have sex. Not me. I'm there for the juggling. <laughs> of course, Vancouver. It is hard to be on the phone with people from anywhere else in Canada and not sound smug. <laughs> How's Edmonton? Oh, it's it's snowing again. How's that? Oh, son of a bitch. No, sorry, I wasn't looking where I was going, and I stepped in a big pile of cherry blossoms. <laughs> I'm, co- I'm covered in splendor. It's just terrible. What I do notice, though, well, a few, th- a few other things. Um, I like MMA. It's not popular in, in Vancouver, makes it, which makes sense. I mean, all that ground and pound, that is way too much punching down for this city. We, no, see, right there, it's like, oh, no, we can't have that at all, so it's not surprising. Uh, also, I never hear someone say that you're going to save for a rainy day. <laughs> yeah, because of our crushing debt loads. And because it rains a lot, right? Just like in, in Saskatchewan, no one says, run for the hills. <laughs> And in Vancouver, and in, in Toronto, no one says, don't be an asshole. It's just regional, <laughs> regional stuff. I do, I like to, at work too, I like to juggle coffee break, like just for a break instead of a smoke break. Like some people go outside at work to smoke or to go in the bushes and have sex. Not me. <laughs> there for the juggling. Fort Mac, though, there's a city. That city is hardcore. A few years ago, guys were, a g- couple of guys were jogging in Fort Mac, and a bear started following them. So they had to keep jogging quasi-casually <laughs> so they didn't provoke a predator response, so they could get home alive. And one of them picked up a rock, just in case it came to that, right? Jogging along. And guys heard about that and said, wow, that's scary. And women heard about it and said, that's what it's like to not feel safe when you're jogging. (laughs) Quasi-casually jogging home. Picking up a rock, just in case. (laughs) It's always dudes who are like, well, why would you drive to the gym? just to go on a treadmill, because it's well lit. That's big. We like that. And cool, will relate. I saw it. there was a targeted ad that popped up on my computer for a claw that actually slips onto your hand. And it's for women when they're jogging. And I was so torn because I want to live in a society where women are safer than that. But I also want to be Wolverine. And right after that, there was an ad for a silicone ring that slips on your finger. I was like, silicone ring on your finger? I'm listening. But it was to hold your cigarette while you're gaming. <laughs> yeah. My vagina slammed shut. As I read, it's like you're doing two things I don't like and you're doing them so much that you need to multitask. That's horrifying. Now, that, um, I, actually, I, this is fun. I was at a, a birthday party. I got hired for a children's birthday party. Yeah. Well, you know, because some people go to a children's birthday party to socialize or to go in the bushes and have sex, but not me. I'm there for the juggling. And the thing about the husband is, of course, not true. I don't date men. <laughs> I'm also single. so. But I don't really like pride much. And OK, I'm going expli- to break it down for you straight people. It's, uh, imagine someone came up and was like, there's going to be a week of parties for you and your friends. Awesome. All of your exes will be there. <laughs> The out of town ones, too, they're coming in for it. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound funny anymore. That sounds upsetting and awkward. Yeah, but there's a couple you haven't slept with yet to make next year awkward. All right, I'll go then. <laughs> and some people say that Pride has gotten too corporate. Big Vancouver Pride. I think Pride's gotten too corporate. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Julia, it's just not Pride until I see that. TD Bank float come over the hill. <laughs> Partners in the struggle. Fantastic. I will leave you on this. I have a a friend who identifies as pansexual. And that is like bisexual and the same as omnisexual. Basically, we have a lot of expansion teams in the league right now. And <laughs> She is fond of saying, I don't fall in love with genitals. Hearts, not parts. As though the rest of us do. I mean, even the straightest woman who loves cock the most, I have never heard those wedding vows, you know? When I met Brad, I mean, sure. He's unemployed uneducated, hideous, and very controlling. But that's the penis I want to raise a family with. His dick is a Capricorn. Oh, such a Capricorn. His dick is woke. You know, it gets it. So sensitive. I love his dick in spite of his balls. Because they're disgusting. But then, who doesn't have baggage? Good night.
0: Up next is Jocelyn Tennant, a fiction and screenwriter whose work has appeared in Joyland, Broom Magazine, and Sad Mag. Her short story, Narcissus, was nominated for the 2017 Writers' Trust Journey Prize. She's also a loving parent to 10 healthy houseplants. Here's Jocelyn.
3: Hi, guys. How's everybody doing? Um, So I'm going to read a little short story for you, but it's pretty um, petite, so I thought I'd bulk it out with a little anecdote for you all. Try my hand, you know. Um, So I live in Point Grey. Anybody familiar? Nice, yeah. Bo- most boring neighborhood in the city. <laughs> um, it's also the like home to the highest concentration of NIMBYs in the city, which are not in my backyard. Basically rich people who are against anything that improves the city for non-rich people. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> there's something I noticed, which I think is like the NIMBY-est like, thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, I live very close to a Safeway, and I often... Go to that Safeway to buy groceries as you do. (laughs) And uh, maybe like eight months ago, I was in the produce section, like picking out carrots. And I saw this guy, uh, very well dressed, wearing a suit. He came in, walked straight up to the avocados, picked up a couple, picked some ripe ones, put them in his pockets, and left the Safeway. (laughs) Just two avocados, stole them flat out. And I was like, wow, it's impressive. It's very brazen very proud of you, sir. (laughs) And then uh, a couple more months pass, I'm walking through the parking lot and I see the same man get out of a Tesla because of course he got out of a Tesla. Still wearing a suit, still very like dapper. I follow him into the Safeway and again, he walks straight to the avocados, puts two in his pockets and leaves the Safeway. And then many more months, (laughs) without a sighting of the avocado man. Uh, And they announced that they're closing the Safeway, which is very disappointing for the people who live in the neighborhood who don't drive Teslas. Um, And it was about 10 PM. I was very, very stoned. (laughs) I was um, buying oranges and chocolate milk, as you do when you're very stoned. (laughs) And uh, I got in line behind this man, who's wearing gym shorts, and I'm like, this guy looks really familiar. And it was the avocado man, and I could tell because even though he was buying one carton of almond milk, he also had an avocado in his pocket. <laughs> and I was like, this guy is like a bandit of avocados. And uh, he's talking to the cashier, he's kind of like checking his phone. And she's talking about how, you know, the store's closing and she doesn't know where she might work next. She's very, like, sad and, you know, normal people problems. And he kind of shrugs and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm not surprised. This place is kind of a dump. And I was just like, sir, (laughs) how dare you? But in my head, I mean, I said that in my head. Out loud, I said nothing. And uh, he tapped his very fancy credit card uh, for his $4.99 carton of uh, almond milk and walked away avocado jangling in his pocket and uh, (laughs) I got up to the cashier and very stoned I was like you know ma'am that man stole an avocado (laughs) and without missing a beat she said yeah he does that a lot do you collect air miles (laughs) and then uh, yeah anyway so that's the punchline but. No. Yeah. and that's why I think we should eat the rich. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna transition a little bit. Uh, this is a short story that was published in Sad Mag uh, last fall. Um, it's a, it's got a long title, so strap in. <laughs> um, it's called uh, Why I Will Not Be Attending Your Play: Dispatches from the Horsehead Nebula this Friday night at the Westridge Community Theater. (laughs) You're probably wondering why I have declined your Facebook invitation to attend the opening night of your new play. I'm sure you think you know. I'm sure you think it has something to do with professional jealousy, or maybe personal jealousy as you simulate sex numerous times in said play and I am your girlfriend. (laughs) To save you the grave mistake of believing either of these things, I will now provide you with a comprehensive list of my reasons at the end of which you will fully understand my decision to skip your premiere, and in addition, to never speak to you again. Reason number one, (laughs) I'll be frank, Dispatches from the Horsehead Nebula is derivative at best. (laughs) In act one alone, you borrow punchlines from both Allie McBeal and Angels in America, something I pointed out during the first cold read to which you said, art should be in conversation with other art, and then told me to check my attitude. I won't be petty and point out the obvious that I came up with the title while making a joke about slam poetry and watch you write it down in that tiny leather-bound notebook you keep tucked in the breast pocket of your shirt because you once saw David Mamet at a Starbucks and he had the same style of notebook in the same style of shirt. But it is safe to say that you're possibly the least original person in this or any other galaxy.
1: Reason
3: number two. When you told me you had written a part just for me, I assumed it was as astronaut Dr. Teresa Green, love interest and partner to your character, Trip Ambrose. Not, as it turned out, as a limerick reciting cloud of gas. (laughs) When I asked you why I couldn't play Teresa, you told me that it wouldn't be believable that a woman of my stature could play an astronaut and instead gave the part to Marley Clark, who is a size two and my least favorite person on this planet. (laughs) I did not know you were looking for a girlfriend who could also be an astronaut. Reason number three, having refused the role of of gas cloud, I (laughs) I was banned from the rehearsal, most of which took place in our apartment, requiring me to sleep on Amy's couch while you and Marley spent long nights nailing down your roles. For both our sakes, I will not try to count how many times you've told me to trust you. Reason number four, I have to say it again, the play is not good. I wonder if you know it's not good, if you can hear the way your actors roll your writing over in their mouths like something sour they aren't allowed to spit out. You have never been good at writing dialogue, and that isn't just something your professors used to tell you to make you work harder. Dialogue lives in the ear. You have never been able to hear other people when they speak. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Reason number five, after it became clear to me that you were definitely fucking Marley Clark in our apartment, I tried to break up with you, but you called me a coward and a cunt and still pleaded that I stay. I wasn't going to, but then you told me you were struggling with the end of the show and begged me to help. Do you still love me? I asked. I need you, you said. I need you. Is that not enough? Reason number six, I read it and reread it. I drafted monologues and planned lighting cues and painted a scale model of the stage so you could see my vision for the end. The two of you sit center stage. You say the final line I've written for you and it's beautiful. Syrupy watercolor spots wash your face and Marley's. A delicate patina of smoke whispers out of the wings and catches the light. A perfect clear note rings uninterrupted as your ship is enveloped in gauze and you enter the heart of the nebula, never to be seen again. This is how it should end, I said, I was crying. You weren't looking anymore. I could tell that you didn't agree and after a pause as gaping as a black hole you said I like the lights. You have been at the theater since then which has given me time to move my things to Amy's storage locker and contact our landlord to take my name off the lease. Tonight the curtain will go up and some of the 341 people who have RSVP'd on Facebook will smile up at you as you begin your opening monologue. You might notice my absence then, or after the bows, or long after that, when you get home and discover the books and towels and orange blossom hand soap are gone. Maybe then you'll see me somewhere in the space I used to occupy. Maybe then you'll reach out to grab hold of me, but I will be unreachable by then. Not quite an astronaut, no, but beyond your atmosphere all the same.
0: Right up next is actor, improviser, and sketch writer Essay Atawo. She's a member of Instant Theater, faculty member of Blind Tiger Comedy, and a part of the improv and sketch troupe Nasty Women. Here's Essay.
4: All right. Okay. Oh, wow. Look at all your paper. I'm an old man waiting for death. I'm an old man waiting to take my last breath. Because I'm an old, 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 old man. All my youthful days are gone. I'm an old man. I'm an old man. I sit alone. I'm an old man. No one calls me anymore. Because I'm an old, 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 old man. All I do is get ignored. I'm an old man. Wow. Well, look at all you young faces. You have the ability to, to do whatever you want. You have youth on your side. You got a, a good bodies. You don't need a cane. When I was young, I, I made sure I did everything I could, and I had less than all you. But I did it. Just the other day, I saw these, this young man get inside a, an Uber. <laughs> I saw the car drive down the street. The guy got out of the car and walked into an apartment. He was so lazy, he couldn't walk down the street. You guys trap yourself in your cellular devices, and laptops, and computers, or any other technological prisons. When I was young, I would walk everywhere. Walk miles, and miles, and miles. That's how you get to know your community. Meet your neighbors, have a conversation. When I got tired, I couldn't call no Uber. I just walked. I would walk to, to school, to the mill to see my daddy, to the bakery to get a fresh loaf of bread, and home. And the only time I stopped was to get a nice cold Coca-Cola. I would go to the corner store and, and tip my hat to the cashier lady, her name was Susie. I would walk to the refrigerator, get myself a, a nice cold cola, Come back, give her a nickel for the cola. Reach my hand, squeeze her tits, and I was <laughs> on my way. Ooh. It was a long walk back home, but I did it. It's a different time, a different time. Hmm. And I just find out that kids no longer go to movie theaters. They, they stay home and watch Netflix. What is that? When I was young, you go to the theater with your friends to catch up on the week and meet, get to know what Robert was doing or what Bobby did or how school was for George. Every Friday, I would go to the movie theater with my friends. We would buy our ticket. We would go inside and get ourselves popcorn and a cool cola, and we would head to the theater. But one day, I asked for too much butter, and no pun intended, I had butter fingers, and I spilled my popcorn all over the floor. I had to go back to the refreshment stand and get me a, a new bunch of popcorn. And Susie, she was working there too. I asked Susie, do you mind refilling my can? She said, no problem. She filled it, put my popcorn on the counter, and took a big step back. <laughs> I grabbed my popcorn and I was on my way, but accidentally I spilled my popcorn all over the floor. And I yelled, Susie, I I need new popcorn. So she said, okay, and she gave me another one. But then on my way back, I completely forgot where the theater was and I asked her to, to direct me to the theater. She said, where the popcorn is, that's where the door is, get yourself inside. But then, I, 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 still I couldn't remember, so I asked her, please, direct me. She came around the corner, pointed rushly to the door, tipped my hat to her, extended my arm, squeezed my tits, and I walked right inside. It was a good film that Friday. Mm, good film. It's a different time. It's a different time. What is that? A, a cell phone you have in your hand? And you're taking a picture? What happened when pictures are supposed to be taken by cameras? You put film in a camera, and you take it down to Gerald. Gerald was the guy who who did all the developing of the cameras for us in the neighborhood. Every Saturday, I would walk down there and and ask Gerald to, uh, to develop my films. Films of family and friends, not of food or drinks or
1: shoes.
4: (laughs) So Gerald told me to, don't worry about it, Thomas. Just come in next week and you'll get your pictures. And that's what I did. I came in the next week. But Gerald, he doesn't work on Saturdays. His daughter does. Her name is (laughs) Susie. (laughs) So I went down there to pick up my pictures. But Susie, she's so smart. She wrote me a little note saying, Dear Thomas, here are your pictures. Feel free to leave the money in the little tin. And by the way, don't even pay for it. Take your pictures and go. It's on the house. <laughs> Speaking of houses, as I was developing your pictures, I noticed that some were blurry. But the ones I, I could picture out was, looked very similar to my own house. Thomas, stop doing this, please. It's not funny anymore. So I did what she said. Took the pictures, put money in the can. I was on my way. But I realized I didn't thank her, and I wanted to. So I went back inside, and Susie saw me nice saw her, and she just screamed out, Thomas, what are you doing here? I thought you took your pictures. And I said, I wanted to thank you. She said, no thanks necessary. Get out. But then I said, no, I, I needed to thank you. And so we were stuck in this weird situation. When I went up, she went down. When I went right, she went left. Call it divine intervention, but there was a moment that we were face to face. And that was my chance to say thank you. I knew it, and she knew it. I tipped my hat to her, reached out my arms, and squeezed her tits. <laughs> And I was on my way. She was right. The pictures didn't come out, Ralph. Hmm. So you youngins, live your life. Live it to the fullest, because when you get old, you're going to get ignored. Hmm. I'm an old man.
0: Now we have Jonina Curtin, a Métis Icelandic poet. She was 60 when she published her first collection of poetry, Page's Bone, Inca's Blood. Her second collection, An Honest Woman, is currently a finalist in the Dorothy Livesay Poetry Prize. Here's Jonina.
5: I'm not very tall, so. Sit or
0: stand?
5: I'm gonna stand. Wow, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of people there. How close do I need to be?
0: You get pretty close.
5: Okay. I think that's good. Oh my God, there's so many people. I'm scared now. <laughs> it's been great so far. What fun! I needed to laugh. Sorry, I don't have many funny things to read. I don't tend to write funny poems. So I'm going to start with uh, a poem that I wrote, um, thinking about my disco days. (laughs) Because we're in a, you know, it's kind of like, it's not a club, but it's like a club. There was music, so it made me think of those days. Uh, And it wasn't all fun, but there was certainly lots of fun. Can I see? I need light. There we go. I'm okay. (laughs) Okay. It's called Collective History, and this is in Winnipeg. So, is anybody here from Winnipeg? You're probably all way too young to have heard of Bogarts, but there was a place called Bogarts in Winnipeg that was like Winnipeg's Studio 54. (laughs) I used to go. Collective History. Divergent lives meet at the border. Bogarts on the edge where the north end meets downtown. Winnipeg's Studio 54, an old bank building where life's deserters cross over, meet on the dance floor. Tuxedo boys, rich, looking to drown out the voices of obligation, crave the drugs the arsonist and the boxer provided. Portage in Maine, an intersection where need meets want and amid the inner rubble, the marble pillars, We all play a transactional game where everyone tries to trade up. In his tower, the DJ, a demigod of nightly worship, takes us into trance dance. Encoded in our bodies, a collective history of days when we hung mirrors on trees where pain and pleasure reflected visceral truths. We are all crows, like shiny things. The mirror ball spinning light offers flickering fractures, but never invites reflection. Heavy with memory, my body finds wordless ways to stir cellular recall. My turtle mind, slow, steady, walks me to the dance floor, where my snake body dances me. I am in a moving sea of sound within the beginning of time, an elemental dreaming, born of water. Inside, the oracle divines my salvation. But I am still suspicious of my body's story. But I am still suspicious of my body's story. Leave a trail of marooned memories, frozen fragments. Parts of me are scattered on the altar of one nightstands. Once home, haunted by my losses, I weep. Water meets wood as I lay on the hardwood floor, contemplate the collective curse in our genes. A shame carrier, I am doomed to wander. I am a vortex of empty space, where my bitterness and brooding calls out to the hag. Our dark truths pass between us like a smoldering joint. Shared suffering never articulated leaves a residue, causes an itch that cannot be scratched. I am a curious contradiction, like the sun and its shadow, trying to forget my own fragility, suspended between two worlds. I exist between night and day, where salt becomes wisdom, and at the end of my bed, a pack of black dogs. On my lips, a thickening scar, tastes of toxic soup, a fog, and within it, a spell cast over the victims. We carried our shame to the dance floor, the crimes of our ancestors, the collective illness, the original sin, follows us to the after-hours clubs, this time rich boys and bikers, occasionally an allergic reaction. Earthbound alchemists, we all learned that the rise of smoke cannot be hastened, that sometimes passions are their own punishment. Thank you. <laughs> kind of revealing. I started out writing about, you know, how much fun I was having at the disco, and then it turned into something else. But uh, you don't want to hear the whole story. Um, so I do pick on my mom a lot. She's been dead a long time, so she doesn't know. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> And she was really nice, so it's kind of unfair because she's not here to defend herself. But uh, I pick on her because I was uh, raised by a white mother, and I'm Indigenous. I have Métis blood. Yeah, and she was the good church lady, and she was super nice, and she had some interesting ideas about how I should be as a woman. So this one is called Things I Learned from My Mother, and uh, it is kind of picking on her. It's around the same time period as this other poem. A girl needs a good coat and nice shoes. There are recipes on soup cans. Campbell's knows how to feed a family. If your husband is faithful, a good provider, be grateful. Even if he hits you, it's okay, as long as he is faithful, a good provider. Never wear too much blush, or you risk looking like one of those kind of women. It is all right to have sex before marriage, as long as you have him over for dinner first. (laughs) The recipes can be found on the Campbell's soup can. (laughs) I'm laughing because I tricked her into saying that, by the way. I just told her I'm not planning to get married, and I'm not planning to give up sex either. So she said, well, I guess it's okay if you have them for dinner. She didn't know what to say. (laughs) So um, this one is uh, kind of picking on my, more so on my aunties this time on the white side. Um, So there was always a lot of pressure to become a certain kind of woman. So this is called Where I Come From. I come from the days when not breastfeeding was considered a progressive act. One that led to my mother and her sister's pillbox hats in black and white photographs. You cannot see the yellow, shoes, and matching bag, or silk-slick, silk-slick. I can't say it. Silk. Or their husband's hands slipping, sliding to unzipper sheath dresses never to be worn cooking. High school cookbooks asked us not to speak of our day, to remember that our husbands had long hours in offices with secretaries and that work often included evenings, dinner and drinks, overnight excursions, and we were cautioned against asking where he had been. Indoctrinated by mothers that presented daughters with advertisements found in magazines filled with real wives, one of them my aunt, hair done in blonde pin curls, swirls of femininity paired with a smart-looking dress and apron. In this photo-filled promise, my auntie stands next to the latest model of stove, modern meant to entice all women, with hopes of a leave-it-to-beaver life in the suburbs, where she and the other wives will sink into gripe-water evenings with children, with their Vicks Rubs chests rubbed to perfection, their casserole kitchens decorated in gold and olive-green brocade, and the matching canisters lined up near a cookie jar waiting to be filled. There, a woman's work is never done, lives could be replaced by men who buy modern appliances. My aunt and her coffee, tea, or me life upgraded to kitchen, now serving one instead of many. She got her life filled with modern appliances and housekeepers that she could be kind to. How many times did she say it's just as easy to love a rich man as it is to love a poor man? How many times did she say, You made your bed, you lie in it, as her chair was kicked out from under her in a public place. The rich man, the one easy to love, caused her to fall to the floor like a tree in the forest. Some would say no one heard the crashing. How the waiters must have clucked when alone and free to discuss this accident of her own making. They all know that next visit, auntie and uncle are to be greeted with the customary welcome, Mr. and Mrs., their table waiting with candlelight meant to dim the view of waiters who are witnesses, made complicit by tips from mothers and fathers who may also have been paid to stand silent next to tables tattooed in disappearing ink. Diamonds or a girl's best friend. These words etched on the skin of our silence caution daily not to speak publicly of suburbia or the dreams that did not come true. We all learned that alternative endings can be offered. Some included romance, a lover's spat made right by flowers or furs, diamonds offered as evidence of love. <laughs> Thanks. Can I go one more? <laughs> OK. So I, I'm, I'm Icelandic. That's what Yonina is. And I was just there for the first time. What an amazing place. So, um, this is about my visit there. Pick on my auntie again a little bit here. Um, <laughs> no one tell her, okay? Because she'll sue me. She's got lots of money. <laughs> so, it's I'm in Iceland, darling. They have poetry in the bathroom, uncredited text on blocks of wood, cheeky commentaries on life. Some chilling reminders that those who live on shifting ground take their poetry seriously. It is Christmas here. In the mall, there is red, there is wool, some shiny objects, silver adornment for trees and tabletops. I find a coffee shop where I sit. I listen to words I do not understand. They feel familiar, and I want to lean in. I do not know if my grandmother spoke those words. I do not know if I've heard this before. All I know is that I'm leaning into her, and that everywhere I go, I look for her face. I find her at a dinner party. She is pretty, and I am glad. Would she have been single too, a photographer, not a farmer, with 17 children? This apartment could have been hers. The old furniture, the artwork passed down. But my grandmother had nothing to give but love, and a check for $200, carefully noted in her will the cost of diaspora long forgotten. There are no accounting methods to crack to track what was lost, language the first to go, the passing down of heirlooms, some carved wood filled with the stories that were in the hands of the maker and now live on in the wood, a telling of another sort. My grandmother's mother came with nothing, not even a mother. Her father, reluctant to claim her, listed her as nanny, not daughter, listed as nanny, not sister. Her mother lost, went missing in the country, where we take a drive. I look for her, but she is not there. I'm here to be a witness to the past. I stand where my ancestors once stood, outdoor governing, a gathering place named All Thingy. Here, the land, the gods, the little people, all honored. A short walk, and there is magic waters, dark and deep. We share a coin, make a wish. The land is filled with silence, yet it never stops talking. Tells me, it knows me, that I belong to its past. The pristine snow and the heat of the earth brings geyser remembrances, the gushing of watery words made white hot by those who do not live brown. My skin erupts, steam escapes from my mouth. I feel the burning, the lava words of my aunties and uncles, the way they slow crawl just below my skin. I am a volcano on an island. I became my own island. I've always been between the wombs of my grandmothers, offered two worlds, one with circles where we lay ourselves open to the warmth of a fire, the other a burning of another sort, both sides made strong by storytelling, by a connection to the land of their ancestors, each a reflection of circumstances, black sand beaches, sharp salt, cold water, peninsulas pointing to Canada, where voyagers from both sides ventured. Both sides made strong by storytelling, by a connection to the land of their ancestors and a place called Turtle Island.
0: Our final performer is a fantastic Jane Stanton. She's been featured at Just for Laughs, Just for Laughs Northwest, Bumbershoot, CBC's The Debaters, and alongside folks like Tig Notaro and Michael Che. Find more of her comedy at thejanestanton.com, and keep an eye out for her forthcoming comedy album. Here's Jane. Hello!
6: There! Thank you. Everyone else is just and go. Um, I live in the rich area in Vancouver, which is everywhere. (laughs) I was leaving my house and this man greeted me like a proper lady. He was leaving the house and he said, good morning, my lady. And I said, it's good afternoon. (laughs) And we both laughed to a climax. because he thought I owned the house that I walked out of. He thought I was a million, a billionaire. I was like, get my horse and carriage. Shine my shoes. Uh, a month ago, I woke up and I was like, okay, I want to get healthy for myself to get a dude. Uh, I want to get real uh, just for me. Like, lose weight, get fit to get a boyfriend, husband. And... I was like, okay, commit. Day one, no fried food for a year. And I woke up day one, I'm like, why did I say that? I should have said, no celery. I can totally do that. Celery's crunchy like ice, but tastes weird. And you get it free in Caesars. You're like, this will sober me up. Yum, 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 Four more. But fried food. French fries, McDonald's run run. That's my bag. <laughs> like, if I had to make chicken right now, I'd be like, hey. <sighs> make chicken and be like, hey, Jane. I'd be like, I'm gonna be in you. I'm like, I oh, know. What's your middle name? What's your favorite color? Fuck my face. And it would. <laughs> I lasted five days, f- three, two. <laughs> I was driving, and I went to McDonald's, and I was like, I'm only getting coffee. I'm only getting coffee. And I pulled up. I was like, my chicken and fries. And <laughs> I'll get the combo meal. <laughs> and then I had a sip of the coffee. I was like, ugh, disgusting. Ugh, gross. Oh, yeah, sidebar. When I live... Mount Pleasant, I live in a house, right? Ground floor, basement suite. I have a door. It doesn't work. So I use the dog door. And when dudes come over, they'll knock on the door, they'll be like, let me in. I'm like, use the dog door. And they always think it's a sexual thing. Cause it is. Going to McDonald's for a second day in a row because you have to by law in Canada. I don't know if you know that, but I'm a law-abiding citizen. And uh, so I went, and I was like, I'm gonna make chicken combo with a Coke, medium fries, large. Shut up. And I saw super me. It didn't affect me.
3: And <laughs> I should go get fries.
6: And I was getting my money, uh, and I was grabbing it, and I could see from my peripheral, peripheral, peripheral side vision. <laughs> It was the same dude as the day before working two days in a row. What all those are. And then he saw me and he was like, hey, extra mayo. And I was like, is that my name? I'm like, when do you get off? He's like, 10 minutes. I'm like, wear your uniform. Use the dog door. Came around. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I went to Hawaii with my two best friends, and I was super excited. Never been to Hawaii. I was like, I'm gonna go to Maui. It's gonna be great. Like party, drinking, blah, and then blah, 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 blah. Um, that's corn dogs. That's not the ding. I love corn dogs. And I was like, it's gonna be so much fun. And I got to Hawaii and Maui, and the average age is like 94. Uh, it's almost all dead people, and my two best friends is my mom and my dad, and <laughs> they're 82 years old. <laughs> my mom is pretty much deaf. It's a lot of "What? What? It's a beautiful sunset. What? Forget it, It's gone. <laughs> what is that? Dreadlock what she's right there i can touch her did she pay for that yes why am i traveling with my parents i'm not a loser they didn't pay for me i went on their points you guys are fun um i was uh taking my bra off of these babies. And uh, I love them. They're triple Ds, which is like the opposite of school. Like in school when you got an A, that was good. But in this world, A is a fail. Um, (laughs) These are the A's now. They're triple Ds. And uh, like I do. And they're like, they're... I got that from my mom, they're perky still, they're like, what up? And I'm like, ladies, and I found like a lump, so I had to get like an ultrasound, then a mammogram, and like everyone's like, hey, mammograms are the worst. I'm like, well, yeah, you're a baby. And then I went, and then she put it, and it was like, like it's in a frying pan. And, and then just like s- squish them, and then they kept going longer. And I'm like, what's going on? What's going These aren't mine! (laughs) Why are you taking pictures? Should I smile? (sighs) Oh my God, it's like
4: a meatball
6: sub. (laughs) Oh God. You know when you're younger and you put a flower in a book? (laughs) And then you open it up and you're like, that's so beautiful and your mom's like, I'm gonna frame it. (laughs) I'm not framing that. That's going to be the worst job in the world. I used to always think the worst job would be like writing tickets, right? Because no one's ever like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> People are like, what's wrong with you? Like, they just snap. I've done it. Um, <laughs> I got blacklisted because I snap. But that's a different story. Um, but like, she's, she's just touching them. Just touching them, right? And she's supposed to be wearing gloves. But then she took them off. What? And I was like, Whatever. And then I'm like, but then it's the same as a dude doing it. It's like touching my elbow, right? You're like, yeah, like put your pinky up. And then I'm like, maybe we're classy. But like, I don't call them triple Ds. I have my own name. I call them diners, drive-ins, and dives. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And then like before I even get the results back, I was like, maybe I'll just get new tits. Maybe I'll get size set. Like, I'm going to go full on so I can just, like, rest them here. <laughs> like, they're like that. So when people were talking, I'm like, continue. But it will, like, do that at the same time. Uh, the first time I got stoned, I was 14 years old. And I was uh, with my two best friends, not the other ones. Um, it was my dog and my hamster. And <laughs> I was in the middle, so it was the best. And my dog was like, get me more. I was like, sit. And I came home, and I was 14, never smoked pot, and I hadn't had lunch. I was starving. I had had lunch. And I... Came home, and both my parents' cars were there, and they were never there. Not that they were asshole parents. Like, they just, they work. They go home after six. And I was just like, I'm going to go on the house. Didn't go kitchen. I was like, I'm going upstairs to my parents' bedroom. My dad has a candy drawer. That sounds weird. That sounds perverted. Um, I'll explain. My dad's, like, the fittest man in the world. He's done, like, Ironman five times. He bikes 100 kilometer like, three times a week, runs marathons. He's, like, 6'3". 160 pounds, pure bones. And he wears a Speedo (laughs) 24-7. It's like I'm talking about my dream man. (laughs) Because I am! He's married to some bitch. (laughs) I love that you guys are on board. Thank you. It's a joke. God. Um, (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) He always remembers my birthday. <laughs> he owns a house. What? And this city owns two. Shut up. I'm going to punch that bitch out. His wife. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to go in his candy drawer. And the candy drawer is like, ice cream, Snickers, happiness, feelings. And I got... <laughs> I got to the door and it was locked so I was going to unpick it and I heard this like and I thought it was my stomach I'm like what is it girl (laughs) and then I was unpicking I heard it again and it's that noise that people make when they're making sex love that's not sex love but whatever Um, but I didn't know that I was 14 right braces stoned Never kissed a dude. So I opened the door, and my parents were naked, making sex love. And I stayed there. Ah, like that. Like a pervert. And then my mom saw me, and she's like, get out. And I froze, like I liked it. Ah, but I didn't like it and then my dad saw me and he's like get out but I thought he was giving me a low high five so I was like ah. he's like no get out I was like grab me a Snickers that's my time you guys have been amazing
0: Okay, all right. This is the end of the show. Thanks again to all the storytellers, Devours, The Lido for having us, Matt Crisco for recording us, No Fun Radio for playing us, and you, dear listener, for listening. We'll leave you with Devours' Freddy Krueger, Honeymoon Suite.